The Beer Buzz Podcast is sponsored by Tavor, one-of-a-kind brews you can't get anywhere else. Fill your fridge with unique craft beers you can't find locally. Access highly rated IPAs, stouts, sours, and more. Craft beer delivery made easy. New users who spend $25 in the Tavor app will get a $10 credit towards their next purchase. Use code BEERBUZZ, that's B-E-E-R-B-U-Z-Z, at checkout. Visit Tavor at www.tavor.com and find the Tavor app on the Google Play Store and Apple App Store. Welcome to the Beer Buzz Podcast, the podcast that brings the craft beer community together. Join us as we dive into the world of craft beer, exploring its rich history, unique flavors, and the passionate individuals who brew it. Each episode, we'll sit down with the industry experts, brewers, and beer enthusiasts to discuss the latest trends, share stories, and uncover hidden gems in the craft beer scene. Whether you're a seasoned beer connoisseur or just starting your craft beer journey, this podcast is for you. Get ready to pull up a chair, grab a cold one, and immerse yourself in the captivating world of craft beer. So tune in, and let's talk beer. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to the Beer Buzz Podcast. I am your host, Dakota, with me, as always, from the great state of Wisconsin. What's going on, Pete? Hey, what's going on, guys? So now we're now we're you know in the podcast game. We've had our first guest. Now we have to have our second guest. And I I could not wait to have this dude on. He's been DMing me left and right about certain things that I should have mentioned, didn't mention. He knows a lot more about beer than I probably do. So what better guy to have on the podcast than Lucas? What's going on, boss? Hey, uh, nothing much. Thanks for having me on. So before we get into the old podcast, I want to I want to ask a, a little icebreaker. So you were just a part of the uh, Ohio Craft Brewers uh, can, can, uh, like the conference, right? Can you talk about that for a second? Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, right now, I am currently the assistant brewer at uh, Crooked Can Brewing in Hilliard, Ohio. Uh, I started there as a seller tech, but last year I got promoted to assistant brewer. And this past uh, about a month ago, I was invited to come along with the head brewer and the tap house manager to uh, the Ohio Craft Brewers Conference, where I sat through a bunch of panels and learned more about the beer industry and got to talk with some other brewers from the Columbus area and just around Ohio in general. So when you go into something like that, are you going in with the idea of trying to go in as a collaborative effort? Hey, can we work with certain, you know brew companies can we work with some brewers or are you going in there trying to you know um get some you know get some information work with other you know work with other brewers right red head brewers or assistant mm-hmm. brewers are you trying to you know go in as collaborative effort or are you just looking for contacts uh i was going in as more of an educational uh since i'm still kind of brand new to the whole brewing side of things uh i really the head brewer went, and I, I don't know exactly who he talked to, but I, he was more the person that plans the brew schedule and everything like that. So when it would come to collaborations, he would be in charge of that. Was that was that your first time going to you know a conference like that, or is that or is that? Oh yeah, have you been yeah, to just one before? Any conference in general, yeah, it was my very first time going to a conference. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we got the list of classes and uh, presentations that they were going to be giving. And I picked some, 
the taproom manager picked others that are more designated towards business and like running the taproom side of things. Uh, one of the most interesting panels I went to was how to brew a award-winning English ale, which English ales, you know, they're not that popular. Uh, uh, and two of the, no, I think all the, uh, there was four people on the panel. One was kind of an MC, three were uh, giving talks and two of the breweries there from the Columbus area. And they were talking about just the style that they, uh, that they go through to make this English ale and, you know, other brew. It was all, it was all brewers in the audience. And, you know, it was just great to be in that environment because as somebody who's new to the brewing, uh, working as a brewer, it was fun to see, you know, people who have actually done things in the Ohio beer industry and have actually been awarded for it. So it's stuff like that, like that I feel like magnifies the brewing industry, right? Like it's one thing to like collaborate to different breweries, but it's, it's another thing to go to a conference and, you know, sit in on those panels. And I think, you know, if it's anything like cooking and I, I always like to compare beer to, to, to cooking because I kind of feel like they're, they're, they're closely related, right? You can, you constantly are learning new things. You're coming up with new fads or new, you know, things that are, that are popular and you kind of have to move with the times, right? So like sitting on, on some of those panels, I'm sure we're super educational, but then you take away from those panels and then you come back to the brewery and you're like, okay, I learned about this, right? Like the, the English ale, like if you guys were ever to sit in and be like, okay, we're going to do this kind of take those, you know, snippets that you guys learned or you learned mm-hmm. and be able to kind of transport in, transfer it into your own, you know, brew day. Or, you know, if you come behind and, and do research and development, you're like, okay, you know, if we use this yeast or we, you know, ferment for this long, you know, kind of collaboratively come up with a, a, a recipe yourself. And then if you go back to this conference again, be able to maybe have some sort of like insight, Hey, this is what we did. This is what people loved about us. So mm-hmm. I like that part. So kind of talk us a little bit about the, all right, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, like today I just did a, uh, a brew day for our Hefeweizen that we have. And I mean, I think you're right on the money every time you say it, that brewing is, in my opinion, very similar to cooking as well. I have a, a recipe. I got to know what grains to put in for this amount of time uh, that they sit in the mash tun. And if the grain build is not right, a different type of beer is going to come out. If I don't use these types of hops, something else is going to happen. So, no, is, it, right is, the money when you... is it your least, your, your least favorite style of beer is a Hefeweizen, right? It is, it is, yeah. It's our most popular beer that we sell out of the tap room, and it is my least favorite style of beer. I, I'm what, not a fan why, of Hefeweizens or Belgians. Why is um, that, though? I, I, I don't like the clove and the allspice flavor that the yeast puts out uh, hmm. in the beer. So, I, I just, I'm just not a fan of that. I, it, to me, it's very banana forward. The yeast plays with uh, everything. It makes hmm. kind of like a banana flavor, and I'm just not a big fan of that. Okay. So on like a so on like a typical brew day, like you just mentioned today, you did have a Weizen. So like, are you are you do you have it like do you have a, a program, a brewer's program that you guys plug all these numbers into? Like, is there something that like, hey, we don't want to make a full batch? Are you always making full batches? I have so many questions that I'm going to pump at you, Lucas, because I'm just oh, yeah. I'm, a, hey, no I'm, I'm a nerd of, of beer. But when it comes to like brewing a beer, right, you sit down and you're like, okay, we're going to brew a Hefeweizen. Is there like you guys plug numbers into a program? Do you guys have a certain recipe that you have in mind? Flavor combinations? Um, kind of like take, talk me through that part. So uh, the Crooked Can that I work at in Hilliard is uh, 
the the original Crooked Can is in Winter Garden, Florida, right outside of Orlando. So this is I, I don't I mean expansion or just a separate project, but same name type thing. I'm I'm not sure the correct. I mean, we're like sister breweries, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Uh, so the Cloud Chaser is a core beer from down there that we also do because we're part of the Crooked Can label. And I'm sure uh, that when my boss comes up with recipes, he has a computer program of some kind. Uh, I know I have one on my computer for uh, home brewing, which is great. It's basically just like a creating beer simulator, and it puts out gives you everything that you need to know um so like when i brewed today it was already a set recipe since it's a core beer and it was essentially just he printed out the brew sheet and handed it to me and i just followed it step by step so and everything is exact like and that's what people don't understand is like you have to be like like it has to be exact, or, or can you be with like a, a hundredth off, or can you be like a tenth off, or is it actually exact recipe? Um, so you try to be true to it as much as possible. Uh, you know, things can happen. Like, I, jeez, it's hard to explain. Uh, so I have the three steps: you mash in, uh, then you let that sit for an hour. Uh, once and then you transfer it over to the boil kettle and then it boils for an hour uh, and then you transfer it over to the whirlpool and then send it into a fermenter from the whirlpool I mean if, if it's in there for longer than an hour it's not going to like hurt the beer but you just try to be as true to the, the brewing recipe as much as possible I, I know there are some uh, sometimes that Hop substitutions are made, and it, you know you can't really tell the difference. Uh, when you say hop substitutions, are you talking about like by brand, or are you just talking about like, hey, we use Simcoe here, and now we're going to use you know Rawaka or something like that? Uh, I, 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 yeah, more along the lines of like, if you're you know out of a hop one time, if you need to make a beer, you know you're going to substitute it for something else, and you're going to try to be as close to possible with it. You're not going to do something that's going to completely change the flavors. But you're gonna to try to be similar with it. I, I mean, there was, there are times where like, and this just happens because it happens. Uh, when I'm taking grain from the silo, like my grain bill today was like I think 780 pounds of grain that I needed. Um, and you know, just because of how it comes from a silo into a mill room and stuff like that, and you have to turn it off when it reaches that number. Sometimes it goes over by like you know, two or three pounds, it's not the end of the world. So you try to be as close as possible to it. But if you're, you know, off a little bit here, off a little bit there, it's not like the end of the world. Will that change your overall yield per se, if, if whenever you're mashing in or whenever you transfer to the fermenter? I mean, not really. If it's it? off by a few pounds like that. I, I mean, it, it definitely could. Uh, if you are putting a, a bunch more grain in than what the recipe calls for, because then the water is going to be off. Because you're going to be, you're going to have to adjust the water, how much water you're putting in it. So I think the coolest thing about, you know, the beer in general is like, and we talked about this on the podcast, Pete and I, is, and maybe you can attest to it. Maybe, maybe we're wrong. I was telling, you know, Pete, like, you're never going to brew the same batch of beer. Like you're like, 
nothing. You cannot brew it to the exact specs over and over again. Am I wrong or am I right? I think the goal is to brew the same exact beer, but I mean, if breweries are just doing consistent one-offs, like they're not going to have the exact same beer every time, but our core beers, I think we have like four or five of them. They are, the batches are, are identical, I would say, or, or damn what, near close. What's your favorite beer though at Crooked Can right now? I mean, what's your favorite on tap? Uh, you- my favorite on tap, uh, well, my favorite on tap right now is probably our Mexican lager. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. Um, what, what makes it a, a Mexican? I mean, a Mexican lager versus just I don't know. I mean, I don't, when you say Mexican lager, I'm thinking like Corona or like Modelo here. I mean, is that my? Uh, it was a different. See, I didn't brew that one. I put lime in it. I know that. Uh, but does it, it have to do with the, does it have to do with the yeast? Does it have to do with the yeast or the malt? Uh, I, I think we just put like some salts into it, and like it's not like a goza, but it still had like some salts into it. Um, and uh, we put some lime in it as well, so it has like a nice lime flavor. I mean, when hmm. you're when you're brewing, I mean, there's technically like two types of beer. There's lager beers that have lager yeast, and then there's uh. A, Lagers, uh, ales and stouts. Sorry, ales and stouts. So uh, the lagers will get a lager yeast, and you know, it, it's not too too crazy. So you okay. just talked about you just talked about stouts, and I and I we, you sent yeah. me a picture on on Instagram, and I was really really excited that you that you shared that picture because I was I was we had touched on on the podcast and what I'm talking about is like when we were talking about purees, fruits, how does like, how do, how do beers get their certain flavor profile and whatnot? And so, you know, Lucas shared with me a uh, brew bag that he had dropped into a stout that, um, what, did it have like, was it coconut? What, what, what all did the brew bag uh, have in it? It was cacao, uh, I believe cacao, chocolate, uh, and uh, shaved coconut. And that was for a stout, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's for our Joyride Stout. It's an almond so when joy. You, so when 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 you're brewing that stout, so that's that's in the fermenter, correct? Uh, when right that, now it's in the brew tank. I'm. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, was yeah it was sitting. It. Yeah, when the brew bag was added to it, uh, we took it off of the yeast after fermentation had completed, uh, and then transferred it from one fermenter to another fermenter. And before I transferred it over, I uh, there's an arm. It's kind of like a curve like this, a racking arm in the fermenter. What I did is you take the brew bag. It's just, depending on how big you need it to be. It was a big bag uh, where like liquid can get through it, but the stuff inside can't get out. And I attached the string to the racking arm inside the tank, and we let it sit there for, I think, a week or two and just let it so- essentially the flavor soak into the beer. When you're brewing, when you're brewing that type of beer, so you 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 it's on a specific schedule, right? So, like you said, a week or two. Will it change the flavor profile if you leave it in there? I'm, I mean, obviously the answer is yes, but like, how much is it going to be a drastic change if you leave it in there for three weeks or a week less? Like, do you guys have have a, a flavor profile in mind when you say, "Hey, I'm going to leave it in there for two weeks"? Uh, I think we were just trying to leave it in there for as long as possible. Uh, and I know right now uh, we're kind of not in our as busy season. So there wasn't like 
as much of a need for that stout to be sent over to the bright tank immediately to make room for the next beer. Um, so I think it, we kind of just let it sit there until like we, you know, it was like okay, now it's time to send it over to the bright tank to be carved. And so when, after after it's been carved, like what what kind of clarity are we are we looking at? Is it going to be pretty much chocolate syrup? Is it going to be a little bit thinner? Uh, Is it going to have some? It'll probably be the okay. same color as the stout, essentially. Um, I did add some extra coconut flavoring to it while it was in the bright tank, and then I recirculated it before carbonating it to, to just get more coconut flavor in it. So when you say so, extra coconut flavoring, is it an extract? Is it just like whole coconut? Uh, it's like an extract, it? yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was an extract. Yeah, they're throwing coconuts in there, um, Dakota. I didn't know like if it was whole coconuts. coconut shavings. <laughs> Thank you, Lucas. Yeah, I didn't know if it was coconut shavings. I was like, come on, P. Like, come on, get out of here. I'm just giving you shit. Um, <laughs> I know. I think that part is super interesting because, like, you, like you said, like, like beer is like, um, in 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 regards, it's like cooking, right? Like, you can marinate something, or, or here, I'll, I'll compare it to this prosciutto. Right, it takes a year to make. Right, so you you have to do everything exact. Make sure everything goes well. They can't, you know, get the right or wrong amount of you know mold on it it's got to be protected by you know certain conditions and whatnot that's the same thing for with beer and and one of those pr- protections is you know sanitation and you were talking to me, me about you know you're you're in charge of making sure that those tanks are clean those those uh everything that you use is super sanitized can you talk a little bit more about like what goes into the sanitation of making sure that no beer you know is um infected or you know gets bacteria yeah. that's bad for the beer uh so before i uh uh, got promoted to assistant brewer. I was the cellar uh, technician, and I did primarily just the beer transfers. I didn't really do anything with brewing. I, I milled grain occasionally, but uh, the main part of my job, and still, I would say, still the main part of my job, is making sure that the uh, the brewing space is and, and all the tanks are clean and uh, sanitized. It, it feels like when it comes to craft beer, 90% of the work is just cleaning and making sure that, because the last thing you want is to have an accidental sour beer, which can be caused by, you know, just essentially not taking care of your equipment. You know, with these stainless steel tanks, you can get like nicks and scratches in them and bacteria can grow in those scratches. So, like today when I was setting up to... Uh, uh, the fermenter that I was putting the beer in, I I wasn't using a, a sanitizing solution. I was using an alcohol-based cleaning solution, which I, it, it kills everything. And I put that on the gasket that goes around the door, sealed it. I put it on the, uh, the spout that attaches to the fermenter that we pull from to see how the beer is going with the fermentation process. Uh... And then after I'm done transferring, it doesn't matter if a beer has been in there a day or if it's been in there two weeks. Um, after I'm done transferring it, I use a caustic-based uh, chemical uh, with hot water. And this, this water is like well over 150 degrees with this chemical. And then I rinse it out. And then I use an acid base, and it, I mean, just those two chemicals alone are essentially what I use. I use a uh, CIP pump to just pump those chemicals through each of the arms on the tank. And in the tank itself, there's a, uh, a ball that has a bunch of holes in it. So it'll just shoot the chemicals and the hot water everywhere and just clean every inch of the, uh, the tank itself. 
So when when you're brewing a beer, so let's say you're starting a brew day at seven a.m. Are you pre-cleaning before you start your 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 mashing? Are you doing your your cleaning like the day before and knowing that hey, I'm gonna clean this this uh, fermenter. I'm gonna clean the you know whatever just just to be um, to help yourself. Or are you do you have to do the cleaning day of? Um, I don't have to do the. The, the cleaning the day of, but we always try to because that's when it's like absolutely at its cleanest. Uh, so when the mash is uh, is, is sitting in the uh, the mash tun before it's sent over to the kettle, when it's sitting in there for that hour, that's when I go over and I set up the fermenta- uh the fermenter to uh, take care uh, to get ready for beer. I pre warm the kettle, uh, and then I sanitize the whirlpool. Because I mean, the temperatures that are inside the uh, the mash tun and the boil kettle—I mean, it's brought to a boil. Anything in there is already going to die. Right. So uh, the the whirlpool uh, where the ward is going to be sent to after kettle after making the kettle and it's brought to a lower temperature that needs to be sanitized. So I sanitize that, and then I send that water through the heat exchanger where the beer is brought to an appropriate temperature, and then put into the fermenter. Uh, and then I send the, the sanitized water from the whirlpool, send that over to the fermenter, and then I run that CIP pump through with the water and the sanitizer. And we, talk, so we talked about this. Yeah. So we talked about this, you know, Pete and I, you know, and I definitely wanted to make sure I was right. But, like, sanitizing and making sure that everything is clean or having a clean surface, I mean, even, like, cooking, you know, you don't want to get anything cross-contaminated. You don't want any, any type of bacteria to affect any type of, you know, utensil or even product that you're using but in beer is yeah. way more important because you know you can't tell it's infected until it's too late so like you have to make those drastic measures like almost like it, it may seem like redundant for some but like when i was when i would you know watch people you know brew at a brewery like the biggest thing you see is they're constantly cleaning every surface right if they open up mm-hmm. the spout they're constantly cleaning that spout you know if they um uh, was it a hydrometer? Is that right? What you, you know, check ABV, whatever, yeah. if they're doing a small batch, yeah. like you're making sure that's clean. Everything that they touch has to be recleaned or sanitized or, you know, they're using certain things um, to make sure that, you know, nothing is cross-contaminated. You know, everything has a certain place in the brewery. You know, it may look like, you know, controlled chaos to some, but like everything has its place to make sure that, you know, it's effortlessly. And, and I want to touch on this too, because you talked about it, transferring the beer from the boil kettle to the fermenter. Like, what kind of what kind of process is that like? I know there's a bunch of hoses and you know everything's got to be you know clean. But like, well, how long so does that beer, usually take? So the beer uh, go. So the wort comes from the the kettle into the whirlpool and from the whirlpool to the heat exchanger. Um, I, I think it usually takes about thirty to forty five minutes. That's not bad. Just I mean, it's coming at high power. <laughs> I, I mean, I have a I have a, a pump. That I that I use to send we use pumps in in the whole brew house. I'll send you a picture of it so you, you, I'm sure it's similar to ones you've seen. Um, but we use pumps that are built into the brew house to send the beer from one part of it to the next to the next part, and then because uh, it's it's 15 barrels of beer and a barrel of beer, a single barrel of beer is 31 gallons. Huh. So it's 15 times 31. That's how we make it a time. 
It's a lot of beer. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a, lo- a lot of beer. And uh, for the full batches that we do, we do uh, two of those brew days. Like tomorrow, uh, the head brewer is brewing the second part of the Hefeweizen to put into it. So... So let's uh, so let's dive let's dive into this real quick. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Lucas. No, no, no. I, I was just going to say it takes you yeah, about thirty to forty five minutes to send it from the brew house once it's you know the brew day is complete. So uh, I misspoke, and I appreciate Lucas for stepping in because, again, I I'm not I'm not going to lie. I know way less than Lucas does, and Pete and I both know a lot less than Lucas knows. Yeah, so I don't know said. When we talk to well, here we like we we have this podcast uh, as a platform to talk about craft beer and have people that are educated, way more educated than we will ever be on on beer on this podcast. Um, but he he had, he had corrected me, and you know I, was, I talked about Brudet being three hours. I had done that on homebrewing. I was I was like a homebrew system. He was speaking on, and he had, he had reached out to me and, and corrected me, and I'm glad he did because I don't like to look like an ass. It takes a lot longer. It's it's an eight hour, sometimes longer day um, to brew you know, start to finish. Yeah. And can you kind of walk us through, I know like an eight hour day is kind of long, but do you mind walking us kind of through, Sure. you know, each step and kind of like what, what, what brewers, you know, <laughs> expect going into it. And then like, you know, the people like us novices, you know, some things that we may think are kind of crazy or may think are um, less important to the brew making process. Uh, so just from other breweries that I've seen and then working at uh, the one I do now, I feel like I'm very lucky in the setup when it comes to the whole brewing process and the brew day. Uh, we have a mill room that's cut off from everything, so it helps with uh, you know cross contamination. It prevents that because you don't want dust flying throughout the brewery. Um, and we have a giant. I'll send you a picture of this as well. We have a giant, essentially, mill that breaks up all of the grains for us uh, to make the grist. Uh, and then from there, we have essentially PVC pipes uh, that run from the mill room, uh, from the mill, into the mash tun and drops it in from above using an auger. So uh, it's connected to the brew house, and I, I, can, I just hit the auger button once we preheat the, the mash tun, uh, and we add some water to it. And inside the mash tun are these giant... Like in the homebrew, you know how you have to stir everything mm-hmm. for a long time? I've got giant paddles inside the mash tun that basically nice. spin it. And everything is pretty much automated. We uh, we have a steam... I, got, I have a, I have a sub-question real quick. Steam. Yeah. So when you, when you auger that into the mash tun is it pre-weighed do you have like a hey we need this amount okay uh so the night before uh well before we it's usually the last thing we do if we have brewing the next day uh so the day before like yesterday yesterday before i left i mashed all of the grain um we took from the silo and then we also put uh grain that we have in bags i dumped that into it and let everything break up uh, and on there, I'm sure, you know, I, I didn't build the mill or anything like that. There's a, there's some way that it takes the weight, a scale in there somewhere that, uh, that reads and puts it on an electronic display for me. So I know that I need to have a grain bill of, uh, 780 pounds. I just, it, it'll just show me how much is already in the silo and how much it is with the bags that I add. Uh, and then I 
add more of the silo green afterwards to get us to that number. Nice. Hmm. Technology. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's for sure. But I know, uh, like, I know some other breweries have. They, they they don't they don't have I guess the luxury of it, but uh, I've seen some breweries. What they do is they basically have the mill part of it, but it's set up on a like a a big Rubbermaid trash can, and they have a drill uh, to power the uh, the mill. And they one person is holding the drill, and the other person is dumping grain into the top of the mill, and it's breaking everything up in the in the trash can, and then they dump that into their mash tun. Hmm. That seems and that seems impressive, but also wildly crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So after after everything's you know weighted out and into it go it gets dropped into the the mash tun, right? Yes, it gets dropped into the mash tun, and uh, I also have another uh, like on the brew house itself. Uh, I have a display that tells me how much water has gone into it. So it's not like I'm eyeballing it, and it tells me like on on the recipe I have, it tells me exactly how many gallons of water I need. So I just wait for that number to pop up, and then essentially it just it just sits there for an hour after I, you know, have fully mashed in. To, and what's to the important What's the, the importance uh, for it to sit there for an hour? Uh, so that's where. Uh, there's this saying that, you know, brewers don't make beer, they make wort. Um, that's where the hot water, and it pulls out all of the uh, fermentable sugars from the grain, which is then turned into the alcohol. Uh, so it's making that wort, essentially. I don't know if you talked about wort in the previous episodes, I think. Yeah, for um, people who don't know, what he's saying is wort is like the fermentable sugar water. It's basically sugar water yeah, that, that it, is created. sugar bread water, yeah. And then from that I send it over to the boil kettle and that's where I, it is brought to a boil after the uh, I have a little sight glass on the side that tells me uh, I think we put 18.5 barrels in our boil kettle because some of that does cook, cook off uh, and then it's full we let it come to a boil and then uh, that's where we add the hops and any tablets or anything to to help give that beer that that boost. Um, will you all do you always use um, hop pellets, or will you ever use? Or have you used fresh hops before? Uh, I have only used pellets. Okay. Uh, hmm. In any brewing that I've done, I've only used pellets. Now, that's not to say that uh, my my boss hasn't used hops because he's been uh, in the industry a lot longer than I have. That's for sure. And so, this like when you inter- like, brewery. yeah. So when you integrate hop variations or hops in general, yeah. um, speak about that real quick because I have on on the some of the questions that I want to ask you, like IPAs, because I think IPAs are really fun to brew. Um, that's where you get to actually taste like more hops. Like when you brew like a pilsner or a lager, like you're, it's more like eh, it's in there, but it's not like really like standing out to most. When you drink an IPA. The first thing you're going to probably hear, or not hear, smell or taste is a hop variation, whether it be Simcoe, mm-hmm. Nelson 7, uh, the, the Citra hops itself. Kind of explain the importance of, like, the integration of a hop variation or, like, why people add it so so few or why they add it more or what, when you add it to the kettle or boiling itself, why you integrate it during certain times. So... Uh... 
1487, uh, <laughs> they, uh, some people in, I believe, Germany wrote up the Reinskopolt laws uh, and talks about, yeah, the German purity laws uh, of beer. And the, they've, they've called the Reinskopolt laws, and it means that there are four ingredients that are allowed to be in beer for it to be classified as a beer. Now, nowadays, people put in adjuncts like crazy. I mean, but the four key ingredients are water, uh, malt, hops, and yeast. Uh, and that's that's how you make your beer. Uh, so the different hop varietals, like you say, like an IPA, that's definitely, you know, that's the focus point of the IPA. And you want those hop flavors to come through. The hop plant is a cousin to, believe it or not, the marijuana plant. Indeed. So when people say that an IPA is dank, like that is because uh, that hop has that different type of flavor characteristic or smell to it. There's uh, a brewery in Michigan called Shorts, and they make a beer called Psychedelic Catgrass. Don't know if they make it anymore. I haven't seen it in a while, but maybe they just aren't distributing in Ohio anymore. But it's called psychedelic cat grass because one of the characteristics of that beer is the hops that they use give off the aroma of cat piss. That <laughs> Sounds is an terrible. Characteristic for that hop. No, it, it's, cat, not, it's not my favorite beer. Cat piss is terrible. I say that. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the hops out there they give off the characteristics of citrus fruit or stone fruit, uh, like when a beer tastes like a peach. That's because the hops that they're using give off those types of flavors and stuff like that. I, I hope that answered you, your question. Boy, yeah, and I, I was I was going to try and ask you again. You know, yeah, when you enter, when you introduce it into the the brewing, you know, the brew day, right? Like, you know, is mm-hmm. there a certain time for certain brews that you add? We're going to add two hops. We're going to add it one during you know the the whirlpool. We're going to add it you know when ten minutes mm-hmm. before the whirlpool has ended. Like, why do you why do you add certain hops? At certain times. So today, uh, I put the hops into the beer at the at the top of the what I've been told it was. I don't know if that's just what we call it at where I work, but the brewer's hour. It's a sixty minute countdown, and when the boil comes, when it comes to a boil, that's when you start the hour, and. Today, I added hops at the start of the hour and didn't add any more hops in because that's what this that's what was called for for this beer. When it's a Hefeweizen, the hops are not a key characteristic of that flavor profile of that beer. Uh, but I brewed an IPA a while back, and I was I added beer, I added uh, hops to the wort uh, in the whirlpool as well as doing it in the boil. So it's... It has, it's it's the oils from the hops that uh, grab onto the proteins, uh, the proteins and the polypacific. I know I'm butchering that uh, uh, acid from the hops that latch onto each other, which create that hazy IPA. So if you add that in the boil, uh, those oils are probably going to cook off more than if you add them in the whirlpool, where the beer is still hot. But it's not to that point. Because after I put the uh, wart in the whirlpool, we let it rest for 20 minutes and kind of calm down from being jostled around that much. And just the temperature kind of calms down a little bit. So more of those acids and oils from the hops uh, are going to come through 
in the whirlpool because they're not being cooked off anymore. And there's also like a that. case for dry hopping and stuff like that. So you add directly to the beer it, to the beer after fermentation has happened uh, to get all of those flavors directly from the hop. It's straight into the beer. So I appreciate you you answering that question because I'm I'm still a novice. I've watched brew days happen, and, and everybody brews beer differently. And that's that's the cool thing about this this platform is we're gonna have different guys on here and gals who, who brew beer and they may do it differently than Lucas. And they'll definitely do it differently than me. And there's probably, there's definitely people out there who've been doing it longer than me and could probably explain things a whole hell of a lot better than I can. But it's a lot better for, for me and for Pete and the, the viewers, you know, listening to kind of get that, that interpretation of like, you know, we pick it up off the shelf and that's as far as we think about it. Some people do. Right. Huh? Like, Oh damn, this is a great beer, but like the shit that goes into it. Right. Some people may be curious. Some people not. They're like, hey, you know, how is this beer made? Why is it made this way? Why do I taste certain hops? Why do I taste certain flavors out of it? And, you know, for guys like Lucas who their blood, sweat, and tears go into a brew day, we appreciate it. <laughs> um, I did have another question for you. Um, yeah. We talked about, you know, introducing the, the hops. So when you inter- when you integrate the hops, at one point – Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. So it, it gets transferred into the fermenter. Is that correct? Is that the next step or am I ahead of myself? Uh, after after the last process of the brew day is sending it to a fermenter. Okay, so the fermenter. So at one point, do you add the yeast? Because like, I feel like that's a very important part to making beer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, in my personal opinion, uh, the yeast is the true soul of a beer. Because without it, wow. you don't have the beer. Uh, so... Today, uh, in the in the brewing process, when it goes to the heat exchanger, you're lowering it from you're lowering the wort from like over 100 degrees to where you need it to by pumping in cold uh, water into the heat exchanger. Because that it will kill the yeast if you don't correct. It'll kill the yeast if it's like way too hot. Okay. Uh, and the, the temperature I brought the, the wart down to today was, I think, right around 65 degrees, give or take. I'm, I'm not looking at it from, you know, I'm not looking at the sheet right now. But it was right around 65 degrees. And uh, once you get the temperature right of the beer, and with not, with not every beer, but... Uh, the beer that uh, we did today and some of the other beers that I've, I've brewed, uh, we add pure oxygen into the beer while it's being uh, transferred over to ha- uh, help with fermentation. Uh, and when you get oxygen going in and you get the temperature right, I then sanitize everything. And today I was using a, uh, a, a liquid yeast instead of a, a dry yeast. Uh, so I just opened it up and dumped it into the fermenter and sanitized everything, closed it back up real quick. Because the last thing you want to do is put in like actual oxygen. So the introdu- the introduction of oxygen with the yeast, mm-hmm. I feel like would speed up the, the fermentation process, would it not? Yes. Yeah. It, it goes in there and eats all those uh, yummy, yummy gases that are in there. And it'll sit in that fermenter, so it's a Hefeweizen, so it's going to be – it'll sit in there for a little longer than most people expect, correct? Uh, not not really. Not really. Uh, I I think 
I mean, with most of the beers that we have, other than our lagers that we do, we it'll it'll sit in there for like maybe seven, ten days, depending on when it comes out and stuff like that. Shit. So, I mean, usually most beers were within two weeks. It's in the bright tank, waiting to be kegged. Wow, that's a that's a that's an incredible stat. Because like I, again, like I'm I'm used to hearing you know. Bigger breweries on bigger scales, you know, it spends a little more time in the fermenter and then it transfers to a bright tank. Hearing a smaller system, you think you said you said fifteen barrel system? Fifteen barrel system, yeah. So like having it sit there for seven to ten days and boom, move to the bright tank, which already is ready to be kegged, only makes it better on I feel like people who brew the beer, because boom, you can already put that onto the um whether you distribute it or you can put it onto the, the taps, you know, in the tap room. Mm-hmm. Incredible. So do you guys seem to filter brew, beers out fairly fast? Like what, 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 what beers tend During, to leave the tap room fairly quick? Uh, well, uh, I would say more the fun beers. They definitely, they definitely fly a little bit more. Uh, and any beer that we put out during the summertime is, is the, I mean, this is our slow time and, we're still brewing once or twice a week, but I mean, in our busy months, there are times where we have a double brew day, where my boss will go in, uh, and then when he's like halfway, more than halfway through one beer uh, being brewed, I have started the process of brewing the next beer. So it's like sixteen hours, pretty much, of just straight brewing. How so? Like, is, is that is that out. something that happens fairly on the regular? Is a double brew day? Not, not on the regular, not on the regular, but uh, there are plans that we have, and I don't want to give too much away, uh, that we're going to be working with a very large event that happens in Ohio, and we're going to be one of the beers that they have there for the run of whatever they do, uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of double brew days involved with that if everything works out, but it, like with the... We'll usually do it for our core beers that get the 30-barrel in it. Like our our lager we would do for a double brew day. Our third-rail hazy we would do for double brew day. Or uh, the Hefeweizen we would do for double brew day. Just the core beers that we use a lot of and go through a lot of, especially during the summertime. Did you have a question, Pete? Yeah, uh, because, you know, you guys just – I didn't say a damn word in the last, like, 30 (laughs) minutes here. And I'm thinking, like, this shit's going right over my head, guys. Uh, for the people who don't uh, aren't like Lucas and Dakota here who get involved with the uh, brewing process because, you know, Dakota's a home brewer himself. I'm not a home brewer. I just like to drink beer. I like to visit breweries. So I'm just wondering why, what Crooked Can, what stands out at Crooked Can? Why, for people who don't know Crooked Can coming to Hillard, Ohio, what makes your brewery stand out? What are some brewery? beers that you know someone who's coming into town i mean what do you guys have to offer that other breweries don't have well uh it helps that we are the only brewery in town uh oh well that's that's definitely (laughs) a good thing but uh i i I joke because we're i mean we're 15 minutes from downtown columbus so i mean the columbus beer scene is just huge and growing all the time um what stands us apart is I would say we do more the traditional styles. Uh, we do have some fun beers every now and again, but 
when you come in and you get a glass of the third rail hazy pale ale, uh, you're going to know exactly what it tastes like. I mean, if, unless you're you know you're brand new, of course, but uh, it's going to be the same. We, we you know practice consistency. Our beer is going to be the same every single time you come in. Hey, Beer Buzz podcast listeners! Unfortunately, due to technical difficulties, we lost the rest of the audio to this podcast. So, on behalf of Lucas and Cricket Can and the Pine Pals podcast, the podcast that Lucas uh, is a part of, we would like to thank you for listening. If you would like to check out the Pine Pals podcast, you can visit them on all social media platforms and visit them on their uh, podcast streaming platforms. I think it's Apple Music, Spotify, um, and anywhere you listen to your podcast. But again, we appreciate you listening to this episode. Unfortunately, we lost the rest of his audio. He will be back, I'm pretty sure, to talk about the, the, the rest of you know Cricket Can and who he is, what he is, and whatnot. So please stay tuned for, the, for him coming back on uh, in the near future. But we do appreciate you listening to this podcast. As for Beer Buzz Podcast, we release an episode every Wednesday. We do appreciate you listening. If you want us to interview somebody, you want us to tell us something, always hit up us up on Gmail. Um, we have a link tree where you can visit all of our social media platforms, and we're dropping a new episode every week on Apple Music, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Again, thank you so much, and until next time, cheers.